Thanks, Natalie. Good morning again. I missed you all last week. Speaking of presence, I missed your presence very much. Thank you for giving me a little bit of space to be a lifelong learner and to continue to grow. My, my hope is that this, uh, this program will help me to be a better pastor to you. Um, uh, Natalie, uh, I was watching the video from last Sunday. She had forgotten what my doctorate was. I think she was fixated on the sex announcement and so that, you know, <laughs> typical Natalie. Uh, it, it's on spiritual formation and spiritual direction. And, uh, and it was so neat to walk with some of the desert fathers and mothers and ancients to uh, see how they understand spiritual formation. What does it mean to be formed in Christ? How do we walk with one another? What does it mean to, to keep your soul or, or journey with one another to cure your soul? Neat, neat stuff. There was a text that they kept coming back to again and again and again this uh, week of our first class. You know what that text was? Any guesses? Lord of the Rings, they had all these videos. No, they were not cool enough to show videos during this. Well, actually, they did show some videos, but no, it was, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, and I'll give you rest for your souls. Again, they were just returning that very scripture. And, and honestly, from two weeks ago when we started the, the series, I was just continued to be gripped by that picture of a yoke and Jesus' willingness to, to bow down next to us and shoulder the weight of our lives and the stress. Like, why me? Like, why, Jesus, would you, the, the creator of the universe, invite me to journey with you? So that picture has stayed with me of, of him ducking under that yoke and journeying with us. That was the, the first invitation that, that Christ gave us. These three invitations, have you figured out the other two yet? Maybe the next one. These three invitations are the invitations that in my journey with the Lord, in my discipleship and, and growing with the Lord, he's invited me to say yes to these three invitations every day. So the past two weeks I've been Seeking to say, yes, Jesus, I'll take your yoke upon me. Whatever you have, wherever you'll lead, however you'll guide, even if it's through some dark valleys, I know that you've promised to be with me. Yes, I'll journey with you. This next invitation that we're going to look at, there's actually uh, both references in Mark and Luke. We're going to look at, or I'm sorry, Matthew and Luke's. We're going to look at Matthew's gospel in chapter 6. And I said two weeks ago that the, that the invitation to find rest for our souls, I don't know if it gets more beautiful than that. I, I, I said, I think this is the, the most beautiful of the three invitations, right? This invitation to find rest for our souls. This invitation 
perhaps not as beautiful, but it's, it's even a little bit, I think you'll see when we unpack it, it's a little bit philosophical. It's a little bit um, in a way that, that Jesus wants to direct us and have us think and ponder and wonder about what's a life well lived? What's a, a life worth pursuing? What's a, what's a good life? What's a What's a meaningful life? What's a, a life that, that Jesus apparently died for us so that we might not live as we were living or living as the world? But what's the life that Jesus died for us to live? Some would say, what's that abundant life that Scripture talks about? We, we talk about that kingdom life. What's a good life? One of the really honors and privileges of being a pastor as you get to, to journey with people in, in times of celebration and goodness like weddings, but you also get to the honor of journeying with people with some of the hard parts of life, like surgeries or, or, or funerals and memorial services. And I found, especially in Memorial services, when we hear the stories of, of life, sometimes lives well-lived, sometimes not so much. When we hear the gospel and the purpose, it, it seems to be in that moment, there's those, what I mean by that philosophical moment, what's, how do I want to live? Am I living that good life? I was thinking of this phrase, you know, the, the t-shirts that you have, live, love, laugh. Is that how it goes? Live, love, laugh. Live, love, laugh. And we're like, that's the good life. I, I want that. Is that the reality of most of our lives? I mean, I think we put it up. We, we wear the t-shirt because we want it to be. I think you could put an argument that you could insert other words that would reflect reality, like worry, yes, and strive, and sleep, but not very well. I don't think you'd sell many t-shirts that, right? Worry, strive, sleep, but not so well. Yeah. I think Jesus wants us to reflect on the good life. It's right in the center of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6, and there's a, a lot to that, and I'm going to read a little bit to give us context for this. In fact, I'm going to start at chapter uh, 6, Matthew of 24, and you have that. And Jesus uh, begins with this teaching that no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What, what Jesus is doing here is he's asking us to ask the question of focus, of priority. He's inviting us to say, to think about what's driving us, what's moving us, what, what, what's going, pushing us in the direction. 
And if you look a lot of the world, it's driven by, I'm going to get mine. I want to I wanna be wealthy. Right? There's phrases we hear. Money makes the world go round. Have you ever heard that one? Another day, another dollar. Get our share of the pie. Time is... You know what that is. Yeah, those are all really philosophical statements where it says, yeah, when you live your life this way, those are going to drive you and get up. And why do you get up in the morning? Well, I've I, I got to make money. I've got to make the payments. I've got to do all the things. And Jesus says, you know, the life I'm inviting you to, you, you can't do it like most of the world does it. It's, it's not possible. You can't live with one foot in and one foot out. It's either God or something else. Verse 25 says, Therefore, right, he sets up this contrast. Can't live it. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more? There's that philosophical statement. Is life not more? It's meant to be more than stuff. Why are you worrying about the stuff? Isn't life more? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. He's saying, what's the, would you pause for a moment and think about the more of life, the value of life, the beauty of life. Continuing on. Look at the birds of the air. He says, would you pause long enough from your striving and your worry to take in creation? What does creation say? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father, he feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Rhetorical question. The answer is, in God's eyes, yeah, way more valuable. He knit you together in reverent and wonderful ways. He made you, humanity, the, the crown of creation. Is Are you not more valuable than they absolutely can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Rhetorical question, the answer is? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the, the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? God bless you. You of little faith. 
So, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now let's just pause right there. Put your finger in the Bible if you've brought your scriptures today. And I want us to unpack and look at some of these words from Christ Jesus. What he's saying, I would say that Jesus is saying, you know, there's an indicator if you're not living the life. I died for you to live. If you're not living the, the life of more, it's like this big red flag. What would be that indicator that you're not living the life? From these scriptures, what's the repeated word? Worry, yes. You know, it's so good that none of us struggle with that because we're like, we're good now, Jesus, we're ready. Do any of you struggle? I'd be lying if I said I didn't. I'd be lying if I said I beat this. But what he's saying, he's saying, listen, I want to tell you. I want to set you up for this focus and priority in life. The good life, the more life. But you got issues. And the issue is, it's worry. It's distracting you from the good life, that, that Greek word, merimanao, the, the anxious or troubled with cares. He's saying this is how you're living. Modern research would really support Jesus' words right here, right? Not only does worry doesn't add to your life, what does it do? It diminishes the life. It affects what we think about. It, it affects our, our physical health. We can be so taken up with our object of worry that we, we can't get to the, the stuff of life of like loving neighbor and loving God. We, we can't get to all the, the blessings, the treasures that God has for us each day because, well, we're worrying. If I'm being honest with you, I struggle most when I, my head hits the pillow. And I'm trying to fall to sleep. And what often happens is worry rests on me. Can anyone relate to that? You all sleep really good? Yeah. So what do we do with that? In fact, I would say that many Christians, this is the phrase that came to me. It's connected with the first invitation. For many of us, we're living life like this. We're worrying while yoked. We're worrying while yoked. We're in that yoke with Jesus and we're saying, Jesus, yes. Rest for our soul. But Jesus, what about that? What about this problem? I don't know. My, my child, that, that Jesus saying, hey, well, <laughs> let's talk about this. Let's walk together. Got this image of bringing these two invitations together. 
of me worrying and praying from this nervous place of saying, God, I don't, I'm concerned about what, what about that? and this person and that happened and Jesus, how could you let that happen, Jesus? I thought that the... Reflection question for a moment. If you could think about what is the one thing or person that you worry about most? What's the object? I know it for some of you, I'm trying not to make eye contact. Let's close our eyes here. <laughs> Let's close our eyes for just a moment. And if you were, you don't have to write it on the bulletin. You can if you want. But what is that one thing? For some of us, it's our, our kids, son or daughter. Some of us, it's our spouse, our marriage. Some of us, it's our jobs and the stress of our jobs. Some of it's our desires, our hopes, our dreams. We're, we're anxious uh, about that. Some of it, us, it's just our friendships. Some of us, it's the person we're dating. Whatever that is, some of it is our goals and our objectives that we've put on our lives. Would you just take a moment? What is that? Keeping your eyes closed again, I'm going to read to you a familiar passage from Philippians 4, 6, but I'm going to read it, the translation of the message. Do not fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. I'm going to read that again. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Let me read that again. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Isn't that an awesome scripture? What a beautiful, I love its simplicity, Eugene Peterson's translation. Instead of worry, would you pray? And, and the petitions that you pray and the praises that you pray, they will begin to shape your understanding, your thinking, your conscience, your worries. Talk about the, the, the idea of praise. I believe that this praise connects with Jesus' look at creation and, and look at the birds and, and look at the Look at the, the fields. When I was away, there was one stressor over my time away that really struck me and hit me. 
It was ripe with the potential of me worrying. And I was at, we were at this retreat center. It was overlooking L.A. And it was neat, especially in the evening, to see all the lights of the city. But this was during the day, and I was thinking about this. And I'm uh, sitting and looking out just into creation. And all of a sudden, this hawk comes. Beautiful, powerful hawk. And he rests on the branch. And he was looking at the city. I was like, how cool is that? And then about, I don't know, six or seven feet over was this hummingbird. Same time the hawk is sitting on the branch and hummingbird, and I love hummingbirds. The sp- I mean, it's just a blur of wings right there. They can just sit like a helicopter right there. And he's outside of a flower, and he was sticking his beak in the flower and, and pulling out the nectar. And I was like, what am I worried about this? I mean, branch for the hawk and nectar for the hummingbird. I mean, God has, he's got this. He is providential. He, he sees that. And, and, and to think that I'm more valuable than this hawk and this hummingbird Father, would you increase my faith? Would you help me to trust you for this circumstance that I'm wrestling with? Not only petitions and praises, but or, or praises, but also petitions. Right? The, he he says, allow these as you're reflecting on God's providence and and provision, all those things, and bringing, would you then bring your object of worry before him? Would you, would you hold that before him? And I'm this huge advocate of listening, right? Listening. Again, Philippians 4, 6 in the message, before you know it, as, as you praise the Lord, as you Hold your object of of worry before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness. Everything comes together for good. It will come and settle you down. Or I like to think of God's peace or wholeness settling on our hearts. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. There's another phrase that they kept using at this uh, week away. They kept saying this, trust the slow work of God. I told a friend that and they said, I hate that. That's it's terrible. That's terrible. And yet, for how God is working in, in your life, the life of your children or spouse or, or your work or, or all of that, would you entrust to your heavenly Father His patient work? He's far more patient. And I'm convinced as we hold these things with Him and He doesn't answer part 
partly he's so patient is because he's wanting to disciple us, to form and shape us as we trust in his patient work in our lives. Boy, if we could do that, we could really address. Do you think that if we were to do that, that that would affect our worry level, our anxiety level? You betcha, yeah? Every day to, to take those things and place them in the Lord's hand. Allow His peace to settle in on us. And you know what? I think as he, his goodness settles on us, then we're ready to hear the second invitation. Then we're really, uh, the, the, if, he's, if we're doing that, if we're, we're trying to move that, that, that mode of operation that most of us operate in worry and anxiety, if we're, we're really giving that to God, and we're really like, and then the soil of our heart, He's working the soil of our heart, then we're ready for this invitation. We continue on in Matthew 6, verse 33. So simple. So straightforward, maybe philosophical, yes. But hopefully it becomes practical. Verse 33. But seek first his, his kingdom and his righteousness. And all the other things that you're, you're worried about, they'll be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This, this kingdom, this invitation to, to, to keep life simple. Right? To, to, this is about priorities, and this is about focus. What is your focus and priority? And he's saying, listen, I want it. If we can get that mode of operation out of the way, I can make it simple for you. I can get you focused. I can make your priority, and that is the kingdom of God. Luke's version just gives the kingdom. Matthew says kingdom and righteousness. I would say righteousness is a part of the kingdom of God. As we do that, we're going to uh, unpack that just a, a little bit. Um, but he's saying, this is the life worth living. This is the life of more. This is that abundant life. This is the life that I died for you to have. A life that's not filled with anxiety and stress, but is focused on the kingdom of God. Instead of a life of worry and strife and sleep, but not very well, I want to put joy and love and hope and kindness and abundance. There wouldn't be room on a single t-shirt to put all the words 
that God wants to do and give us in this life. Now, what's interesting about this invitation is Jesus gives this invitation, and I would argue that it's the center of the Sermon on the Mount. But he doesn't really unpack it that much. He just moves on to judging others. And so I want us to ask this question, especially this week, going in, what does that mean? What does that look like to seek the kingdom of God? Let me ask it this way. Some of you are married. Some of those objects of worry that you might have written on your bulletin or you thought about. What does it, some of you thought about your kids. What does it look like to seek the kingdom of God in the lives of your kids? Is that a worthy question? Boy, I think that's a worthy question. Some of you thought about your marriage. What does it look like to seek the kingdom of God in your marriage. Some of you thought about your career path. What does it look like to seek the kingdom in your career and in your life? Some of you thought about, about your hopes and your dreams. What does it look like to seek the kingdom of God in the midst of your hopes and dreams? How do you take that singular priority and apply it to every area of your life? In some ways, that's Lifelong questions, yes? But let's just touch the questions just a little bit. One, I want to encourage you with this. Jesus said this about the kingdom. This is right after Luke's version of seeking the kingdom. And he says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Yeah, isn't that like awesome? He, like the Father takes delight when you discover the kingdom in your marriage, say. The Father, He's on your side. He's, re, he's trying to research. He's helping you fulfill this invitation. If you say yes, He delights in giving you the kingdom in every area of your life. Oh, Natalie's been talking so much about sexuality. Just wanted to mention, what's it look like to seek the kingdom in your sexuality? What does it look like to seek the kingdom in your identity, your sense of who you are, right? All these applications, the kingdom. So be encouraged. The, the, the Father delights He's pleased to give you the kingdom in every aspect of your life. Second, I want you to think about that word. Did you notice he says, seek first? Right, there's a, that, that priority, first, that Greek word is protos. You know what, what another English word we get from that Greek word, protos? prototype, right? He, he's saying, initially, first, I, I take that to be in the morning when, when you get up, would that be your first thought of the kingdom of God? 
Now, I've developed a little bit morning a prayer. I've written it out. I really feel good. I, I got really creative. You guys might want to write. No, don't write it down just yet. I just want to, I've worked on this written prayer that will help us seek the kingdom. You ready? Some of you know where I'm going. My Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's so creative on my, I mean, I'm just so excited when I got that prayer. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, that's earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, listen, start here. Start your day. Let the, maybe even the first words of your mouth in the day, Lord, I love you. Praise you, you are holy. Praise you, God. Jesus, you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Holy Spirit, you are the presence and the power of the living. God, hallowed be thy name. May your kingdom come and your will be done. This day, in me and through me. Boy, if we begin praying that, each morning. And finally, I want to give you this as well. Would you think a little bit about why in Matthew's version might be thinking about his righteousness? I would say this falls under this idea. In, in fact, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts not only with the kingdom Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But then also a beatitude is this, which I think connects. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. They will be filled. They will be filled with what? What will they be filled with? Jesus doesn't tell us. Figure that out. In another verse, Luke 17, 21, they asked Jesus, when will the kingdom come? He said, it won't be here or there. In other words, he says, you're looking for it in the wrong place. Because the kingdom of God is within you. At least foundationally, I believe righteousness, you can understand it as a right relationship with God. Right here, our, our soul is right with God. Our, our hearts, our, our minds are right with God. And from that place of seeking the kingdom, God, sometimes when I pray that in the morning, the place I start where the kingdom needs it the most is right here. I need the kingdom the most. That first way sometimes of saying yes is, Lord, 
whatever is not of your kingdom that's stuck. That thing that I've been worrying about, disobeying you by being anxious about with you. Would you get me into that right place? What would it look like if for the next couple of weeks, together as a community, we sought after the kingdom? We sought after understanding it, recognizing it, collaborating with the work of the Spirit as he gives us the, spirit, the kingdom. What would it look like if we prayed together each morning, if that was the first words from our mouths. Let's pray. I want to return to that object or person of worry that you had in your mind. Can we just take that person or object that we have the most anxiety about and can we lay that person or object, just hold it out in your, hold him or her out in your hands and just before the Lord. Hold that person in prayer. Hold that thing in prayer. Now we're going to ask this question. Lord, how would you have me pray for him or her? Holy Spirit, how would you, what words would you guide me to pray? How can I pray the kingdom into that person's life? Just going to give you a moment just to listen and follow the Spirit's unction and direction and impression.